Welcome to the Sages Among Us. What makes a community great? Most importantly, it's the people who live and work there and are engaged in community life. The Sages Among Us focuses on those people, what they do and why they do it, and celebrates the leadership, time, and energy they bring to making a positive difference for all of us. And welcome to The Sages Among Us. I'm Holly Grimaldi Flores, your host tonight. And before we get started, I would like you to know that there is a birthday party. It's a brunch. It's a slice of Nevada City history. It's a party, y'all. Hope you can make it. It's all about fun at our grown-up birthday party. KVMR has partnered with Miners Foundry and Nevada County Pride for this fundraiser. The brunch menu includes farm-to-table samplings of Nevada County caterers and restaurants, including Emily's Catering and Kate's, Three Forks Bakery and Brewing Company, Osario Kitchen, Communal Cafe, Elixart, SPD Custom Sausage by Chef Ike, Heartwood Eatery, Cake Bakery and Cafe, Carolyn's Coffee, and more. Entertainment includes piano tunes performed by drag queen performers and hostesses. It's happening this Sunday, June 11th, 10.30 to 2.00 at the Miners Foundry. For tickets and information, go to kvmr.org or go by... Stop by the station here at 120 Bridge Street in Nevada City. So tonight, my guest is Don Addicts, and Don and I met at a Falls Prevention Coalition meeting about a year and a half ago. He helped out at our summit, and I've learned so many interesting things about him, including the fact that he was born in Berkeley. He attended 13 schools before the eighth grade, and then shooting ahead a few years, joined, uh, came to Nevada County in 2005. So Don, welcome, and thanks for being here. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. So um, I don't know a lot about you, except that you're an incredible volunteer, and I'm wondering, have you always been a volunteer? Well, I volunteered frequently throughout my life. Um, after I graduated from college, uh, my wife and I got married the day after we graduated and the day after I turned 22 because my dad said 21 was too young to be married. Oh, of course. And the week after that, we joined the Peace Corps. Um, we went to Venezuela and we were there for a couple of years and became quite fluent in Spanish. Our work was mainly in the cooperative movement. Uh, there was a small cooperative store in the small town where we lived and we tried to get together different groups of people so that they could negotiate better wages for themselves, from the farmers to the fishermen. And so that was our work there. So you work together as a team, as a couple, and have managed to stay married all these years. No easy feat. <laughs> Actually, it was a glue that kept us together through trying times. There's no doubt about it to have that intense history in early on in your married life. Well, I'm wondering about that partnership. Like when you met, you said, hey, you know, when we graduate, I'm going to go to the Peace Corps? Or was it her idea? Well, it was both of our ideas. Um, she had already done a volunteer with Amigos Anonymous in Mexico, and I was absolutely intrigued with it. I'd taken Spanish throughout high school and college. And during that period of time, the Vietnam War was raging, and the Peace Corps was an alternative service uh, that uh, gave me permission to not have to serve during the time that we were in the Peace Corps. Help others and stay alive at the same time. A yes. very good um, plan, I think. So tell me about, um, in growing up, were you always a volunteer or volunteer-based, volunteer mindset, or did that come to you later? I'd say that volunteering came when it was available. Uh, of course, first priority was providing for ourselves 
money enough for rent and food and vehicles to get around in. And if there was free time, then volunteering was a good way to uh, pass some time and to feel good about yourself. Well, you said you had 13 high schools by the time you were in eighth grade, so I'm guessing you moved around a bit. (laughs) And was that difficult, I would think, always being the new kid? There's no doubt 13 different schools uh, by the time I was in the eighth grade. My dad uh, constantly chased the promotion. He was with Ma Bell. And wherever we moved, um, what was available was a public school. My mother was very Catholic, so she'd then try to get me into a Catholic school. So frequently within one year, I'd be at two different schools. Um, And we moved... It felt like almost every year we'd move and rent a house, and there'd be a couple of schools there. Then they'd buy a house, and there'd be a couple, and then we'd have to move again and sell the house. So that's what early life was for me. And I asked earlier, mostly all over the Bay Area, but also in Spokane and Washington. and Yeah, and Seattle and Spokane, Bay Area, and then the south of the Bay, Watsonville, and that area down there. So mostly California, a little Uh, mostly West Coast, though. So if with all that moving around, who were your mentors when you were growing up? Well, fortunately, my very early mentors were my grandfathers, especially my dad's father. They owned a a four-studio apartment uh, in Berkeley on College Avenue. And uh, by the time I was born, he was pretty much retired. He was an engineer with Southern Pacific and also went uh, graduated from UC Berkeley. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Um, and his basement was a workshop. Um, jars full of nails and screws and nuts and bolts and tools everywhere. And as at the young, my youngest memories are going down there and just being fascinated by everything that was there. Um, and it was a gift from him to me. My second year birthday, they, he gave me a hammer with my name engraved on it, a bag of nails, and a block of wood. (laughs) Nice. Smart man, too. (laughs) That's for sure. (laughs) And so so you had that role model really growing up, even without the moving, because he was stable and as a family member. Yes, I can remember as a very young boy, I think we were still in Seattle. I was 10 years old, and my parents put me on the train by myself from Seattle to Emeryville, Berkeley, where my grandparents met me, and I got to stay with them for a couple of weeks. It was a fabulous experience for a young young person. I love that, and I know that you're a grandfather now, if, if I'm not mistaken. I said yes. I know that, but I'm thinking that. And uh, you're passing that on to your own grandchildren. That is absolutely the truth. Uh, I, I adored both of my grandfathers so much. My other, other grandfather was... Uh, um, uh, how was it said? He was a it, it's one-man band. Mm-hmm. He played the trumpet, the harmonica, the violin, the piano, two drums, and probably something else. And so we would sit there, and he would just make music for us, made us love the music. And also, it gave us permission to be able to do more things than just one concentrated thing at a time. Um, so both of them were definitely mentors in my life. Very different, and, um, but both really great skill sets to have and things to carry on. So I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because when I met you at Falls Prevention, how I met you is that you were co-chairing a heart health group at the hospital. And uh, that seems like a leap, and I probably don't have the title right. So let's tell everyone what the title of the group is and then how you became involved in it. Yes. 
It's the Heart Support Group. And it, it takes place at the hospital uh, first Wednesday of every month at 2 p.m., room 110. And um, I, five and a half years ago, at the top of the mountain, Mount Lincoln at Sugar Bowl, uh, unknowingly had a heart attack. And fortunately, one of my coworkers recognized it immediately. Uh, they put me in a sled, sled me down the mountain, and my last conscious memory was watching the individual who was our, the boss of all the patrol skiing down and just thinking what beautiful turns he was making. <laughs> I was put in an ambulance. Uh, fortunately, the first responder in the back, of the, the paramedic in the back of the ambulance was also a ski patroller. And go, going down the mountain, I flatlined, and he let the ambulance driver know his nickname was Crash. Ah. And so Crash took off like a bullet and... The uh, paramedic in the back is hanging on and pounding on my chest, telling me, don't go to the light. That was the command. They were on their way to Reno, but they ended up diverting into Truckee, uh, where they use the AED, which is an electrical shock, to bring the heart back. And there was a helicopter there. They put me in the helicopter and flew me into Reno. It was uh, 16 days in the hospital, nine days of which was being in a coma uh, with... Uh, heart attack of the what's called the widowmaker artery ah. and there's a five percent survival so uh who would ever say being at the top of the mountain is a good lucky place to be to have a heart, heart attack but for me it was so in recovering from that uh, i was able to go to the uh, cardiac rehab here at our wonderful hospital sierra nevada memorial and uh became very interested in uh, starting a support group. Well, they already had a women's support group, and they wanted to have a men's support group separately. And so my line was, we all have hearts. Why don't we just join together? And uh, early on, now it's been probably at least five years, um, and I was so fortunate to be able to combine with Linda Miller, who's a tremendous leader uh, and organizer with the group, so together, we, our job is to bring in presenters to each meeting. And we've had presenters as far-flung as somebody talking about walking poles, hiking poles, and bringing hiking poles to be sold. I've done first responder presentations. We've had many physical therapists come and other doctors and nurses that have come to present to us and we also start the meeting by everybody talking about their story. What brings you here? What are your problems? What kind of medication are you on? How do you react to that? Um, and what's your story? And then the, the presenter will do a presentation. So, and that today was that story. And Christine Murphy, who is uh, one of the leaders of uh, Silver Sneakers, so she did a wonderful presentation today about balance and falling. As we get older, there's a greater chance of falling. Yes, indeed there is. I'm Holly Grimaldi-Flores. You are listening to The Sages Among Us, and my guest tonight is Don Addix, and we are talking about his volunteerism at the hospital. But we really skipped a chapter, Don, because what we didn't talk about was the fact that before you had your heart attack, you were working, volunteering in ski patrol, and which is why you were on the top of the mountain. And I'm wondering how that got started. I know you started skiing when you were a teenager. Is that a natural progression? 
Well, not necessarily, certainly. Uh, I progressed into ski patrolling because I had a very good friend who was our daughter's godfather. Um, my major job was 30 years as a purser with United Airlines, so as a steward, and this gentleman was also. Um, he started skiing back east, and I was based back east for a short period of time, and I invited him out. Uh, my parents had a cabin up near Truckee, and so we skied together, and I took him down the steepest, most difficult parts of Sugar Bowl, and I turned around, and he was following me. And I thought, this guy is really a good skier, so he could be my friend, my ski buddy, which he was. Um, he uh, moved out here and then joined the ski patrol at, at Squaw Valley uh, and ski patrolled there for several years and then ended up uh, moving to Seattle and ski patrolled up there. Unfortunately, at a relatively young age, he died of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. At that point in time, there was no cure for it. And I decided I wanted to carry on his legacy, that his legacy was passed on to me. And training for, for ski patrol was like going back to school. Test every week, a huge book to learn 120 hours of medical training, how to respond to an accident. And I found it very, very challenging. And once with a cross on my back, also very rewarding for the most part to be able to save people. And how long have you been doing that? Uh, it's 18 years now. Any uh, standout moments? Yes, there's a couple, um, both good and bad. Um, the good one, just recently, I love taking uh, Tai Chi and Qigong at Piner Park with Homer Nottingham. And a week ago, last Saturday, a week before last Saturday, uh, a lady in front of me started stumbling. And she stumbled back and then moved forward and then stumbled again. She started to fall and I caught her. Um, and I went into first responder mode immediately. No skis required, right? <laughs> yeah. And I just called out loud if there was a medical doctor in the class because there were quite a few people and no response there. And one lady said, should I call 911? I said, yes, definitely. And so I went into uh, first responder mode and the, with the help of a 911 responder, uh, immediately um, asking me what was going on, he said, make her smile. I asked her to smile, no response, and immediately I knew, okay, the next one is lift your arms. She was only able to lift her right arm. And fortunately, because we called 911 immediately, uh, what more information we could get out of her, the fire department was there and the ambulance right afterwards, was she had previously had a stroke. Um, so that's almost definitely what was happening. It sounds uh, like another. So because we were there on that really quickly, and I don't know, of course, because of HIPAA, I can't find out what the results were. Uh, but I'd like to believe that we saved her life. And then on the other side of it, one of the most difficult uh, first responder situations that I was on was um, in line, getting ready to get on the lift. And somebody said, you better go up there. There's a kid laying in the snow. And so I go up, and there's two adults near this young boy. And I'm assuming parents, and I said, okay, what happened? We go into our, does he need help uh, role? And uh, the lady said, well, I'm a therapist. And the man said, and this, this boy's mother was beating him over the head with a ski. And I said, and where is she? And he said, I pulled her off, and she went running away. Um, so I did a, I made a very urgent radio call to get a doctor there and to get extra 
ski patrollers there, and I started doing an assessment. Uh, she was hitting him on the head, but he had a helmet on. And as I'm doing that, I get a very snarling face in front of me. What are you doing with my son? And I said, ma'am, I'm doing an assessment, and I'll be doing a report. And she said, you put in that report. He called me, uh, and I can't say it. (laughs) Yes, a swear word and another swear word. And I had looked at her, and I had to resist myself from saying, ma'am, he got that right. (laughs) Uh, And so the doctor came, and the doctor grabbed her and said, you come with me. And then we got him in in a sled and took him over to our first aid station where the police were there. And they ended up, and we had the doctor do a complete uh, survey of the young boy, and the police ended up taking him away to Child Protective Services. So it was one of those situations where I guess the outcome was good, but it was just so difficult to deal with somebody acting that way with a young boy. Adopted and ADHD, but no excuse. No, none. And what's interesting about both of those examples is that you were... uh, we talked about ski patrol, and one was on a mountain, but and one was in a park. Yeah. But really, th- neither of them were skiing. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, so the fact that you have that skill set that it transfers to all areas uh, beyond the slopes. Mm. And then one other point I want to make is I'm not to call you out, Don, but you're no spring chicken. So I'm wondering, uh, do people in the generation that you are tend to be ski patrol people? Well, um, at this point in time, I'll be the oldest patroller up there, but we did have a wonderful gentleman. His name was Don also, and he patrolled into his 80s. Um, the last several years, he just worked in the first aid that was helping people get out of the sled and reestablishing the material that was needed uh, to go back up the mountain and things like that. But he was a real hero to everybody there. He started ski patrolling in the 1950s. And stopped, I'm going to say, about eight or ten years ago. Um, So he's kind of an example for all of us. I have to be very aware of my aging process and my ability. So when I do patrol now, I usually patrol on the the easier part of the mountain. I don't want to put somebody's life in jeopardy because I'm trying to egotistically be some big hero. Um, And, of course... We have radio contact with all the other patrollers, and if I feel like I'm in a situation where I need somebody to take over or to help, I immediately make that call. Well, I'm wondering, uh, from the heart attack to go back to the slopes and then actually to go back to volunteering, was that difficult? Or was it, I'm going to get back there and get on the horse kind of moment? It was, ex- yes, it was getting back on the horse. It was extremely rewarding to recover from something that life-threatening, to be able to go back to something that helped define who I was at that time or who I am, um, a first responder. Um, So I'm glad I went back. And of course, I went back and everybody goes, yay, he's here. (laughs) (laughs) And and of course, for ski patrollers, um, currency is beer. So I I came with a case of beer (laughs) to thank them. Of course, they don't drink it while they're working, but at the end of the session. (laughs) Never would have thought that. (laughs) You are listening to The Sages Among Us. I'm Holly Grimaldi-Flores. My guest tonight is Don Addicts. He's a ski patroller at Sugar Bowl Resort since 2005. Had a little heart attack, took him out for a little while, 
changed his life, I think, and now is also part of the heart support group at Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital, where he co-leads a monthly group helping people who have had heart attacks or other heart events, I guess you would say, and then getting them kind of ready to go back up on the slope, for lack of a better term. And now that you have uh, had this life-altering change, how has it changed you? Well, that's difficult to say because I still live in the same place I did before, and I'm still with my wonderful wife and daughter up in Truckee with her husband and two grandkids. So I can't say um, that it's changed me much, but what it did was um, made me appreciate more still being alive, and it also made me accept that there is an end to life. Um, I started going to the death cafe meetings that were here for a brief period. Um, and it, it also, I guess what it did was it made me more able to verbalize end of life and have that kind of conversation with my, with my daughter. I don't remember my parents having me that it was more like, Shh, don't talk about it. Right. Uh, but it is a part of being alive. There's a beginning, a middle and an end. It is one of the things I have really been on kind of a mission myself is to get people to open up and talk about the fact that we are all going to die. Hospice of the Foothills talks about it a lot. And then not leaving people uh, without any kind of a plan. You know, mm-hmm. people talk a lot about not having their affairs in order, but really also, what is it that you would like to have happen to you in the afterlife? So anyway... Different conversation, different night, but I yeah. I hear what you're saying for sure. As a society, we're doing a disservice by not talking about it. Yes. <laughs> so I know that you jumped back into the volunteering horse, so to speak, with skiing and, and also with the heart group. Do you think that is a message that we should be giving now to, to the next generations? Do you see the next generations coming up and filling in those gaps that as we age out? Absolutely, and not only the next generation, but our own generation look for a place where you can volunteer, whether it's for an hour or a couple of hours. You know, Circle is a great uh, place to go down and help clean up the river. Um, And there's just so many different organizations. That's one of the things that I love about this community. Um, I forgot to ask you how you got here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, my wife's dear friend... uh, Adele, um, she moved up here about 30 plus years ago uh, to take care of her then dying godfather. And she was uh, our daughter's godmother. And so we would drive here quite frequently to drop our daughter off so she could spend the weekend with her godmother. And we just absolutely fell in love with this place. Um, the amount of culture that, it, that goes on here is just unbelievable. When people come here for the first time, I like to tell them, well, go downtown Nevada City on a Wednesday night and walk around, and I guarantee you, you will find live music in at least four different locations. It is amazing. And the theater here compares to theater that I've been to in New York. I agree with you, and um, we talk about that a lot outside of my circle, back east, people understanding how that it's a really small community, but it's got like big community um, amenities, like you said, the arts the, that are here and uh, just the a number of people who are willing to give to the community. It's so important and mm-hmm. one of the things I love about it so very much. And meeting people like you. 
<laughs> so how did your wife uh, do with you deciding that you were going to go back up on that mountain? I have to ask that question. <laughs> I know she's supportive. <laughs> she did go to the Peace Corps with you, or you went with her. Well, needless to say, uh, the nine days that I was in a coma was probably the most difficult days that uh, she's had in her in our married life, in our friendship, which goes back an awfully long time. Now married 55 years, and we were dating when we were in high school. My goodness. But I asked her, okay, well, what were you doing? How were you coping? And she said, well, I was planning your funeral. And I said, oh, sorry to disappoint you, dear. (laughs) 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 Hope it was a good one. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, I think she was very, very much behind my decision to try to come back to be the person I was before. But be careful, because she, she's a gyrotonic instructor, uh, so she really knows about the physical body. And helped, she helped me recover to try and get my strength back. I mean, 16 days in a bed right. uh, is a great way to lose weight, but it, other than that, it's not a good way to, to live. Well, I would think it took a little while to get all your strength back. Oh, yes. But then beyond your strength, I think there must be a mental component that um, touched on, and, and you seem to have overcome that as well. There might have been. Uh, because of the pounding on my chest, it took me uh, four months before I could laugh, cough, or sneeze without being in excruciating pain. Once that pain went away, I started to feel like my normal self. So I was given four months to mentally recoup- recuperate, but it took that, those four months for my body to recuperate. So. And now here you are. And with the heart support group, I know you talked a little bit about having presentations and having people tell their story. Do you find that to be a really important part of the group, is that people need to share and get that out? Absolutely, because... Um, Again, like we said earlier, end of life is not something that's talked about very often. But everyone in that heart support group has had to face that possibility, whether it was just something small like your heart misbeating, uh, atrial fibrillation. Uh, We call that small, but believe me, when it happens, it is very scary. And so to be able to share the stories with each of us verbally, describe what went on as part of the healing process uh, for each individual that is there. And hearing other people's story is also part of that healing process. And we can get very technical. Somebody might say, oh, I'm taking this medication, and this is what happened to me. And I can remember somebody saying that, and I thought, I'm taking the same medication, and the same thing is happening to me. The next day I went to my doctor, and I said, I want off of it, but what else can you put me on? Right. Um, so we can educate each other uh, also just by telling our story. Well, we have just a few minutes left, and I usually ask people if there's something you could change about our community, what would it be that you would change? But you have such a positive outlook and so many um, good stories to tell, I think, that maybe you're one of the people that's like, things are good, you just have to get out there and do something. That's it, exactly. Thank you. (laughs) Well, I didn't want to put words in your mouth, and I still need you to talk to me. So um, (laughs) what would you advise people? Because people do, I think, as they get older, their world gets smaller. Mm -hmm. You don't seem to be doing that. Well, that is absolutely true. Um, So as the world gets smaller, you have to try to broaden 
the world that you are in, whether it is getting to know the neighbors more, having them over for dinner, getting together for a glass of wine or whatever, or finding an organization to get involved with um, so that your, your community of friendship grows. It's real important to, to not only be by yourself and comfortable with yourself, but to be around other people and comfortable with those people. That helps you grow. I think you have uh, really established a good circle here and, and a good community. And it sounds like you're dabbling in a lot of different places, far more than the two that I've really dove into. And uh, we're really lucky to have you as a sage among us. Thank you very much. And I really feel uh, honored to know you. So we are going to wrap it up. It is almost 7 o'clock. And we do want to remind you that we are having a birthday party brunch on Sunday, June 11th from 1030 to 2 at Miner's Foundry with big thanks to the people providing the food, which do include Emily's Catering and Cakes, Three Forks Bakery and Brewing Company, Osorio Kitchen, Communal Cafe, Elixart, SPD Custom Sausage by Chef Ike, Heartwood Eatery, Cake Bakery and Cafe, Caroline's Coffee, and more. And I want to thank my guest, Don, for being here tonight so much and uh, really just such a pleasure getting to know you. And looking forward to what you have going on your sleeve next. Any last thoughts? Well, I'll see you tomorrow at the fall <laughs> prevention meeting. <laughs> That's right. We do have a summit coming up in September. We'll find out more about that in just a little bit. You are listening to KVMR. We are in Nevada City. And coming up next is, I do believe, the BBC. BBC.